approach an intersection at the same time and there are four stop signs. What would you say about the person who goes first and the person who goes last? Well, I thought about that. And as it goes along with the message today, the person who goes first doesn't have much wisdom. They're acting in their self that they got to beat it through the stop sign, beat the next guy through the stop sign, and get through and get to where they're going. But the wise person, he waits for everybody to go. Reason being, he avoids an accident. So all the time he thought he could save by shooting through the stop sign would be null and void if they had an accident. They'd have to stop and deal with it. Avoided maybe economic loss, physical loss. So the wise person waited to go through the stop sign. Amen? And this morning, we're going to look at one of the greatest treasures. Yes, we have salvation in the Lord's name, but one of the greatest treasures that the Lord can bestow upon His people. And it's often spoken about. It's one of the most spoken about things in the Scripture. And we see it all throughout Scripture. And it's looking at life with godly wisdom and not through the wisdom of this world. To have a biblical perspective, bless you, a biblical perspective on how to handle the things of this world and not a world view, uh, worldly view, if you will. So let's begin by looking at a young man named Solomon who at 20 years old, 20 years old, was given the responsibility after King David. And David was a man's man, if you will. Yes, he made some errors, but what a warrior Valiant guy stored up the treasuries for the building of the temple. But here's Solomon, 20 years old. He's got to follow in his father's footsteps, saying, all right, kid, you get to build God's house. So here's a 20-year-old saying, oh, my Lord, I've got to rule all these people, and I've got to build a house for the Lord. What a task. What a task. So what does Solomon do? Well, let's see. Please turn to 1 Kings chapter 3, and we're going to look at verses 5 to 12. When handed this great responsibility... What is Gibeon? The Lord appeared to Solomon during the night in a dream, and God said, Ask for whatever you want me to give you, old 20-year-old. Why don't you go ask a 20-year-old today what they would like. I want a car, man. I want this. But here they asked Solomon at 20, What do you want? Solomon answered, You have shown great kindness to your servant, my father David, because he was faithful to you and righteous and upright in heart. You have continued this great kindness to him. And have given him a son to sit on his made your servant king in place of my father David. But I'm only a little child. He's saying, I'm just 20 years old. How am I going to do this? How am I going to lead all these people? Build a house for your name where you're going to dwell. And uh, he goes on and says, how am I going to do this to carry out all my duties? Your servant is here among the people you have chosen, a great people too numerous to count or number. So give your servant a discerning heart. What he's saying is, help me, Lord. Give me wisdom for this great task before me to govern your people and distinguish between right and wrong. For who is able to govern this great people of yours? The Lord was pleased that Solomon asked for wisdom. So God said to him, since you have asked for this and not for long life or wealth for yourself, you have not asked for the death of your enemies, but for discernment and administering justice. I will do what you have asked. I will give you a wise and discerning heart so that there will never be anyone like you nor ever again. So what did Solomon ask for? Instead of wealth, instead of the death of his enemies, he asked for discernment to see things from God's perspective so he could carry out this great test. Godly wisdom. 
and to be able to discern and apply all things from God's perspective, from the perspective of the one who is omniscient, amen, and knows the beginning from the end and the end from the beginning. Solomon asked for one of the greatest gifts that the Lord can bestow on his people, and it's wisdom, church. It's wisdom. It's seeing things from his word, seeing things from a godly perspective so that we can avoid all the pitfalls that happen in our world today. When we look at life through God's eyes and base our decisions, our priorities, our choices, our lifestyles in accordance with our relationship with him and the principles of God's word, we're walking in godly wisdom. You could say we're walking by a biblical worldview when we look to God and his word to lead us. Amen? And listen carefully. When Solomon took such an approach, he was led by the Holy Spirit and he wrote, some of the most beautiful insights to wisdom. Under the influence of the Holy Spirit, he wrote the book of Proverbs. Read it, please. And the first nine chapters, seek wisdom, gain wisdom. It's greater than rubies. It's greater than gold. And if I was Ezra, I'd stand on the platform and read from dawn until noon, but you guys would throw me out. So, but Ezra read the book of the law. Read Proverbs. Read those nine chapters. Full of seeking wisdom and looking at things from godly perspective. Amen? But look at the flip side. Look at the flip side. When Solomon goes against the word of the Lord, goes against the word of the Lord, he intermarries with foreign wives, and they begin to lead him astray. They begin to lead him astray. And what happens? He goes astray, and all of a sudden, we read the book of Ecclesiastes. Meaningless meaningless, vanity, vanity, all is empty because he went from a biblical worldview, writes Proverbs, all that wisdom, and straight away from the Lord and his word and everything becomes meaningless, meaningless, vanity, vanity, empty, if you will. And when we do it by worldly wisdom, it'll only amount to emptiness and a strain away from our relationship with the Lord and all the consequences that can come thereof. Family, there are two types of wisdom. Just like there are two camps. There's God's camp and there's the evil one's camp. There are two types of wisdom. There's godly wisdom and there's worldly wisdom. And that, if we live our life either way, it's going to determine the paths we take and the consequences we face. So with that said, please turn to James chapter 3. And we'll be looking at verses 13 to 18. James chapter 3, verses 13 to 18. Oh, look, they're up there. Praise the Lord. And immediately, James opens with a rhetorical question in verse 13a when he states, Who is wise and understanding among you? And we may just read over that like who is wise in the original language, but in the Jewish mindset. Listen to me. Listen to me carefully here. All right? The word um, wise is sophos, and it's really like speculative knowledge and theory. Okay? But when we look at it in the Jewish mindset, they didn't just gain knowledge for knowledge's sake. And this word understanding right here, who is wise and understanding, the word understanding is the only time it's used in the New Testament. And it speaks of someone who looks, learns something, and then skillfully learns something, and then applies it. So in the Jewish mindset, we have to see it's that we want to gain the knowledge of God, to take it, make it practical, and apply it. It's not just knowledge for knowledge's sake. It's for application. So he says, who is wise and understanding among you? In other words, who has gained this wisdom from God and understanding, and who has put it into practice? And that's what he means. 
that James is alluding to here is the fact that we had to become knowledgeable in the Word of God, the ways and wisdom of God, and then to skillfully apply them to our lives, our choices, our priorities, where we go, what we do. They're to be applied to the, our lives. And James expands on this, that saying there are two ways that divine wisdom will manifest itself. First one, look at verse 13b. It says, let them show it by a good life. Family, very simply, a Christian who is walking in the wisdom of God, it's going to be displayed. It's going to be demonstrated in our lifestyle. If someone looks at you at work, looks at you in the grocery store, looks at you as you go through your life, are they going to know you're a Christian by the way you live your life? Or they just see you like another person plugging along in this thing we call life. Will they see the difference of Christ in you? It's, again, it's going to affect our lifestyle, choices, priorities as we apply God's word. Ready? No matter how irrational it may seem and no matter what the cost. Because biblical principles sometimes seem like salmon going upstream. The whole world's going this way and we're going that way by following God's word. And you're like... What are you doing? We brought it up in Sunday school. Go tell people you tithe. Oh, the church is trying to rip you off. No, we do it faithfully under the Lord because he's testing our heart where our real treasures are, right? Let me give you something that Teresa and I experienced this, w- this week. This girl, Danielle, it's so funny. We walked into Teresa's liver doctor, and here's a girl I used to work with, and she's with her dad. So I said, Danielle, and we started talking. She was there to give her kidney to her father, so that he could survive. And as I thought about that, I sat back and said, she's willing to help him to live a temporal life. How much are we willing to give as the church, as we demonstrate it on life? And it may take sacrifice, but what are we willing to do to see another soul come to salvation, to lead someone to Christ? Even if it means we've got to eat crow, someone's getting on our case, whatever, that we have to sit back and have that humble spirit but if it may lead them that they see Christ in us, if it will lead them to Christ, praise the Lord. Amen? Amen. Church, we are saved by grace through faith, are we not? Positional sanctification, as soon as we put our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. But then there's progressive sanctification, where we go on to be holy as He is holy, where we're made different in our lives. And if this is our goal, if we really desire to make Christ the center of our life, to make all our choices our priorities, our lifestyles, according to his word and principles, then let me tell you this morning, we've began our walk in walking in godly wisdom and not the wisdom of this world. If we truly want to be Christ-centered and not world-centered or flesh-centered, we're walking in the wisdom of God. Amen? Praise God. All right, let's look at a second way divine wisdom will be manifested. And it's in verse 13c. It's by deeds done in humility that comes from wisdom. This is where we take our focus off of personal and we start to put our focus on other people. It's really the culmination of Ephesians 2.10. Listen to what it says. We are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good work, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So God created each one of us, and we saw this in Sunday school, with certain gifts and talents and abilities to use wherever he places us, but for his glory and honor, not for this, for his glory and I, when we do the good works, they should be done in humility. And we have to understand, where do all our gifts and talents come from anyway? They come from God. Read Psalm 139. He formed us in our mother's womb with the gifts, talents, and abilities we have. So when we use them, how dare we touch his glory? He gave them to us anyway. 
He gives us our possessions. He gives us our positions. He gives us our abilities. So when we do things, we do it unto the Lord and point to Him so that He gets the glory and honor. We don't touch His glory. Amen? Praise God. And listen, this word humility, when it's said to do things in humility, the root word means meekness. What it means is that, and meekness doesn't mean like weakness. Meekness comes from, and my pastor used to teach us, if taking a horse, if left without its bridle, it'd just be wild. But when you bridle it and break it, you bring that strength under control, and then it can be used. In the same way, we to walk in that meekness that God takes our abilities, our talents, the strengths that we have, brings it under control so he will use us to minister to others and for his glory and honor. So we do it in humility and meekness so that he gets the glory. Amen? And so to summarize what James is stating here, we conclude that godly wisdom, divine wisdom, will manifest itself in this. It's patterned after the truth of God's word, and we come under the ruling and control of the Holy Spirit, right? Under the control of the Spirit for his glory, for his honor, and for the benefits of others. Praise God. All right. Now let's look at the flip side of the coin, what we can call worldly wisdom or ungodly wisdom. And what happens here is that the Lord... His word, his principles are nil and void. He's left out of the picture. When we walk in worldly wisdom, God is left out of the picture. The wisdom is based on relativism. Don't we see that today? Relativism. Whatever is good goes. Whatever man thinks is good. How far we have come and how they're indoctrinating us through media on what man thinks is right. When we look at man or man's understanding, his standards and objective which can vary and change. You want to know why? There's no absolutes. There are no absolutes anymore. Thou shalt not kill. Thou shalt not steal. It's all relative. Everything is relative. Marriage between one man and one woman? No, it's relative. They are driven by an unredeemed heart instead of a heart surrendered and led by the Holy Spirit. When you leave man to being man in an unredeemed heart, you will when we remove his principles from the picture, this is what we're going to have a society that looks like the one that is going our way in the United States. So this morning, let's just look at what are the motivations, the characteristics, and the results of ungodly wisdom. First of all, let's look at verse 4. Your envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. So what's the motivation? Do you remember what Bill Clinton said? It's the economy, stupid. Well, I won't use the same quote, but it's a hard issue, people. It's a heart issue. What's the motivation for ungodly wisdom? An unredeemed heart. So if you have an unredeemed heart, what else are you going to draw from but the self-centered sin nature? So that's where the motivation for ungodly wisdom begins because you're not looking at things from um, the Lord's perspective. Listen to Matthew 15, 19. Speaking of that unredeemed heart, out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander, etc. Therefore, the motivation between ungodly, unbiblical worldview is an unredeemed heart because it's going to come out of that self-centered, sinful nature. So what are the characteristics that James gives us about ungodly wisdom that can be driven by this unredeemed heart? The first is bitter envy. Bitter envy. And it's the worst type of jealousy in that it's destructive towards the one to whom it's directed. It's destructive. 
And you put bitter envy, put self at the center of the person's own ideas, desires, and standards. And it's the measure for everything. And listen carefully. When anything interferes, look out. Look out when anything interferes with that. The person or thing becomes an object of wrath, even if that's God or his word. If something gets in the way of the person that wants what they want, even if it's God or his word, they're going to demonstrate that human wrath against it. So we have to be careful. And the second characteristic of ungodly wisdom is selfish ambition. And this word selfish ambition actually comes from the Greek word erotheia. It's a combination of words, which means extreme selfishness. Do we not see that today? The I, me society? I mean, people go after everything, going deep into debt because they got to have that one thing. Ruin their marriage because they got to have that one man or that one woman outside their marriage. Everything gets ruined because of that extreme selfishness. This term was used for an individual who sought gratification and self-fulfillment at any cost, at any cost. It's the antithesis of who Christ is. Selfish ambition is the antithesis of who Christ is. Why? Let's read. Let's read Philippians 2, verses 3 to 8. This is probably one of my most favorite scriptures. And if we could get grasp of it, it says, Do nothing, nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, what? In humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, but to the interest of others. Could you imagine if we as Christians acted like that, not looking to our own interests or interests of others, the influence we could have on our world? In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in the very essence God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking on the very essence of a servant being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself, becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. The Lord of glory humbled himself, became a man, and went through all that he did to set the example. And a beautiful one that Thomas and I, I think, were talking about the other night. Can you imagine the Lord of glory getting down and washing the dirty feet of the disciples to show us the example, to put the interest of others first before our own? And that's when we do something, it should come out of a humble heart, not out of bitter envy or selfish ambition like we see happening in the world today. Look at the business world. Dog eat dog, cutthroat. Oh, God. Forgive me. And now listen to what James says to a person who is driven by these characteristics of ungodly wisdom. He, boasts, he says, do not boast about it or deny it. And boasting is defined as this, exhibiting or characterized by excessive pride or self-satisfaction. And to this extent, we could say that the unredeemed boast in their own wisdom. Come on now. Talk to somebody, get in a little discussion with somebody. Oh, every person, even the fool, thinks he's the wisest man in the world. And they're going to argue back and forth to prove their point, even if they have nothing to stand on, nothing to stand on. And, and a Christian, listen, we've got to be careful also that all of a sudden that we don't lord it over another because of our great spiritual knowledge or our position in the church, that we make other members in the church feel like, oh, I've been walking this walk a long time. Oh, I have more biblical knowledge than you. Oh, I'm an elder. I'm a this. I'm a pastor. So I'm going to lord it over you. God forbid. God forbid. Amen? And listen, in both situations, we're not walking according to the truth of God's word. We're not walking in humility or the likeness of Christ. The unbeliever, because they draw their wisdom from a corrupt heart. They're drawing it from a carnal nature so they don't understand. They're living what they are. But 
for the Christian. There's no room for selfish ambition or bitter envy because a Christian's response should always be like Jesus Christ, with a humble attitude, a humble approach to a situation, even if it starts to get heated that we try to keep with discretion. Amen? And listen, even when we teach, rebuke, correct, or encourage or restore, it must always be done with Christ-like humility. Even if you catch a brother or sister is caught in a sin, we go there with Christ-like humility, not to make them feel tortured or put down or repulsed, but to restore. We correct with the Word of God, but we want to restore them so they come back to Christ and walk with the Lord. Because you can be harsh, and you know what's going to happen? They're just going to move away from God. So even in what we do, and how we rebuke or correct or teach, we do it with the humility of Christ. And so now James writes in verse 15, when we act, respond, etc., at a bitter envy or selfish ambition, that this wisdom, listen, does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. Demonic. Family, may I ask you a question? What are the three things we wrestle with? The world system, the flesh, and the devil. Yes? The earthly, the unspiritual, and the demonic. So if or when we base our responses to an individual or situation strictly on human, philosophical worldview, the Ecclesiastes way of life, meaningless, meaningless, self-centered, what appeals to the senses or our emotions, guess what? Instead of responding by faith in Christ and in his word, we're not walking in humility. We're not walking in humility. It's uh, ungodly wisdom that is unspiritual, earthly. It could even be demonic. It will only appeal to a man's natural state. And what happens when we do that It's just going to lead us further and further away from the Lord when we look at things from a worldly perspective and not from a godly and biblical perspective. We want to look at it from God's view. And family, when a pattern of ungodly wisdom is followed, God gave us his word because he loves us, to protect us because he knows that we are jaws of clay. So when we see a principle of God's word, we follow it because we know that if we're doing it God's way, it's the best way. But when we think we could take things into our own hands and do it our way, that's when we end up in the soup or we end up in trouble. And we see it in our world today. We want to walk by God's wisdom. And it says in verse 16, for where you have envy and selfish ambition, ready? There you will find disorder in every evil practice. Can we look at our world today? which does not follow godly wisdom. Talk about what disorder and every evil practice. Look at these terms. And the word disorder is akatastasia. How's that, Tom, for the Greek? In the original Greek, and it means anarchy, political turmoil. Look at the history of man that turned its back on God. Do we not see anarchy and political turmoil throughout history? Selfish ambition, a man like Adolf Hitler rising to power and doing what he did, or Joseph Stalin that they believe killed between 40 and 60 million of his own people. Look at the regimes throughout history. Look at Cain and Abel. It starts there. At a selfish ambition because, oh, the Lord likes you, brother, better than me, so I think I'll whack you in the field. Nobody's going to know. But it goes all the way back. Disorder. And then every evil practice, which I believe speaks for itself. Do we not see that today when we don't follow godly wisdom? We see every evil practice. They call good evil and evil good. How can they? How can they make a law? I I was just waiting for our governor to come out after what happened in Virginia. And forgive me for not praying for those folks. Another horrible event. A man's 
brutality against men. I was waiting for our governor to come out and talk about gun control, while at the same time he's signing a bill to allow an unborn child to die on a table, or a born child to die on a table. You want to respect life? Twelve were lost in that shooting. How many have you signed death warrants did you sign, Governor? But we see every evil practice when we don't follow biblical principles and godly wisdom. Amen? Ooh, am I being too harsh up here, guys? You can yell at me. The selfish ambitions and arrogance of men lead to all the turmoils. Many of the turmoils we see to have more land, more power. Amen? And you know when it's really bad? Yes, we can see it on an international level. We can see it on a national level. We see the destruction that selfish ambition does within families or between friends. But it's really bad when that enters God's house. There should never be a spirit of bitter envy or selfish ambition within the house of the Lord, especially amongst us. This is the body of Christ. And let me explain to you, God hates division within his body. So if anywhere we are going to walk in the humility of Christ and work for the the benefit of each other, it's in the house of God. Listen to Proverbs 6, 16 to 19. There are six things the Lord hates, seven that are detestable him. Haughty eyes, that means pride. If we got pride in our hearts, oh, we're always going to have to be right. We're always going to have to have the last word. A lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked schemes, feet that are quick to rush into evil, a false witness who pours out lies and ready, a person who stirs up dissension among the brothers. God hates it. There's a way to approach your brother and sister if you've got a problem with them. In humility, and through the word of God. I loved it. We were watching last week in Sunday school when our founding fathers would get into Congress and they would discuss the law. You know what they did? Here's the law found in Scripture. This is what we're basing it on. So if you've got to go to your brother and sister with something that's wrong, make sure you're standing on a principle of God's word and we go in humility to discuss, restore, teach, correct, etc. Okay? And listen to 1 Corinthians 1433, God is not a God of disorder, but a God of peace. He wants peace within the body of Christ. He doesn't want disorder. And dissension creates disorder. It can destroy a ministry. It can destroy a church. But more than anything, it destroys the name of our Lord. And listen to Paul, what he said to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians 12.20. I'm afraid that when I come, I may not find you as I wish. In other words, I want to come and find a thriving church that's showing the humility of Christ, walking in the Word. I fear that there may be quarreling, jealousy, rage, rivalry, slander, gossip, arrogance, and disorder. And that should not be within the body of Christ. What a mockery to his name if the body of Christ can't walk in humility one with another and find a common ground for an answer to or a solution to a, 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 I won't even call it a problem, a situation. That the, when we see the church fighting amongst itself, the unsaved say, ha, who are they following? They're Christians? So we want to have that humility within the body. Amen? Now look at the second term that James uses and in, in is um, the 16th verse of chapter 3. Every evil practice. And that speaks for itself. We see it today. And, and this word comes from where this evil practice is just going to bring destruction and divisiveness. And so family, how do we know if in fact we're walking in godly wisdom or ungodly wisdom? Well, James is going to give us some characteristics that we're going to look at, and it's in verse 17. Look at verse 17 of James chapter 3. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure. 
pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. First of all, this wisdom that is from above is seeing and doing things from God's eternal perspective. We have this book, and it teaches us how to look at things from God's perspective, from his wisdom and not our own. We glean from our relationship with him. And not only can we take the principles out, but do you realize, Christian, we're filled with the Spirit and we can apply them through the power of the Spirit? If you try to walk in the flesh, you're going to stumble. But if you will surrender to the Holy Spirit and let him guide you, then we can walk in that godly wisdom and have the power to do so and the ability to do so and not give in to our own wants and likes, etc. And where is this divine wisdom found, church? In Jesus Christ. In Jesus Christ alone. Listen to 1 Corinthians 1.24. Bless you again. 24 to 25 and 30. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, ready? Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. Where do we find godly wisdom? It begins in Christ so that you're filled with the Spirit of God so we can illuminate the truth of His Word and that we can live by it. He's the power of God. The Holy Spirit dwells within us. And it's not just a piece of God dwells within us. The full counsel of God dwells within the believer and empowers us. Listen to verse 30. It's because of Him that you are in Christ Jesus who has become for us the wisdom of God. That is ours, is the wisdom of God, is He not? To see ourselves as sinners when that Holy Spirit convicts us and we know we need the righteousness of Christ. That's a blessing. Not to deny that we're sinners, but to see so we can see Christ as our Savior and that He redeems us. In our faith in Him, we now are clothed in His righteousness. What wisdom! What wisdom to give your heart to the Lord. It's foolishness not to because you're clothed in His righteousness and now have eternal life. Oh, what wisdom and power is found in God. How can the Lord do that? Take a wretch like me and turn me into a saint and an Ezra's child. Praise the Lord for every one of us. What a blessing, what a gift. In Him is found the power. In Him is found the wisdom. And then to look into His Word and the Holy Spirit illuminates those truths so that we can live by them and apply them and avoid all the garbage that's happening out there. Young ones, please. Stephen, I'm sorry I forgot your first name. Carlos, walk, listen, let your mom share with you. Alana, you have grew up in the house. The principles of God's Word and apply them to your life. You will avoid many pitfalls that us old fools didn't learn until we came to Christ years later and paid the prices for it. A lot of heartache, and by only by God's grace, you can talk to a number of us here that we're still alive even today. You can avoid all those heartaches, Carlos, I'm telling you. Yeah, and you'll have the hotties out there, and you'll have the parties out there, but you do it God's way, and let me tell you something. At some point, he'll bring a godly woman into your pathway, and you'll, he'll bless you, and if you follow him, he'll lead you and direct you. Lonnie, he'll bring a godly man into your pathway. Stephen, don't look for the hotties. I know you, all right? Look for, do it God's way. And you wait, and you look for a godly woman. Look at Rachel. How old is she? And finally found a godly man, and in the late 30s, early 40s, right? Whatever she is, she's getting married to a godly man. God's timing. Apply his principle. All right. Family in Christ, the Holy Spirit helps us lead that new life. Amen? All right, so now let's look at these characteristics of divine and godly wisdom. 
First of all, listen to me. Pursue them. Please pursue them. Receive them and apply them. First of all, it's pure, and it comes from the Greek root hagne, which means hagios, or holy. God wants us to look at things from his perspective with a pure heart, no selfish ambition, no selfish motive, but through God's eyes, for his glory and for the benefit of another, or even to the benefit of yourself that you walk in his ways so we avoid the pitfalls or the lurings of the evil one. Do you hear me? It's pure. It's pure. And um, it's walking in what agape, which is a sacrificial love. That's how we do it, a pure heart. And my pastor had this wonderful definition of agape. It's the humble sacrifice of self for the benefit of another, no strings attached for the glory of God. So it's a pure heart that we do things. Amen? Praise the Lord. It's a Christ-centered life and not a self-centered life. Self-centeredness will lead to consequences, trust me. Not saying that life's going to be peachy and cream when we do it God's way, but we know two things. We're not going to undercome the discipline of God and we're pleasing our Father in heaven. Amen? All right, let's go on and see that divine wisdom is also peace-loving. Instead of adding fuel to the fire, a Christian will look to bring peace to the situation. God tests me first. All right, a Christian who walks in divine wisdom does not perpetuate conflict driven by self-centeredness. Do you hear me? Oh, I'm going to be right. Oh, I'm going to stand on this, and I'm not going to budge. Listen to Proverbs 15.1. A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Yes, dear, I'm sorry. Are you plating me? No, dear, I'm sorry, but a harsh... A gentle answer turns away wrath. Amen? Proverbs 15, 18. And listen, this was a lot of us prior to salvation. A hot-tempered man stirs up strife, but he was slow to anger calms a dispute. Anybody who has Sicilian blood knows a hot-tempered man stirs up strife. Amen? And listen, I have a couple of things. Jesus at the woman at the well. Could you imagine? Here's our Lord. He's our example. This woman comes up and he says to this nice, nice Samaritan woman who was like five men, um, may I have a drink of water? Now, as my pastor used to say, she didn't say, oh, you being a Jew, you want a drink of water from me? She probably said, you're a Jew. You want to ask for a drink of water from me, a Samaritan? I know what you guys think about Samaritan women. Now, the Lord at that point could have said, hit the road, honey. You know what? I was going to share the gospel with you, but take a walk. And this woman got saved and so did her whole town. Praise the Lord. Amen. Another example I have here is Abigail and Nabal. Nabal was this rich old fool. That's what his name means. And David is out in his field. He's actually protecting the guy's sheep and stuff. And he sends some guys down to get a couple of the sheep that he can have for sacrifice with his men. Nabal gives him this really harsh answer. Oh, well, you know David. I know David. He goes, I'm going to go and whack him and all the guys in his household. And he comes rushing in with his men to destroy Nabal's whole family. Abigail, wisdom goes out. She humbles herself to the ground. She brings raisins and dates and this and that to give to his men's supplies and says, David, you don't want innocent blood on your hands. Turn from what you're going to do. And David says to her, if you had not come, I would have gone and destroyed. Abigail went with quiet, gentle humility. She calmed the fire and David went off and didn't do it. Didn't kill the whole household. And that's how we're to be. A gentle answer turns away wrath, that we calm the situation. We don't put fuel on the fire. 
and there's a way of doing it. Do we ever compromise God's word? Absolutely not. But there's a way of delivering God's word in humility and gentleness instead of beating somebody in the head with it and going, you're a sinner on the way to hell if you keep up in that lifestyle. No, there's a way to share God's word and to teach. Amen? We can give the biblical principle without violating the biblical principle, but we still try to love the other person and bring them to Christ. Amen? Praise God. And what did Jesus say in the Beatitudes in Matthew 5, 9? Blessed are the peacemakers, but they will be called children of God. You want to be a child of God? Bring peace to a situation. We don't violate the word of God. All right, we get the point. Let's go on and see divine wisdom also. By being considerate. Oh, boy, has that lost its flavor today. I love when you're like one step behind someone going into a store and they do one of these with the door. Boom, boom. Hey, thank you. Thank you for being considerate. Thank you very much. Right? But we had to be considerate as Christians. And the root word in the original language can be interpreted as gentle. Can I ask you, is the Lord not gentle with us? Is he not gentle with us? Could you imagine if he was punitive every time we sinned or stumbled? He's not punitive with us. And that's how he wants us to be with each other and with others. Amen? Amen? He has every right to be punitive in his dealings with us, but he is not. Turn to Psalm 103, please, verses 8 to 14. Psalm 103, verses 8 to 14. I know. Psalm 103, 8 to 14. You guys already there? Listen to what it says. The Lord is committed to anger, abounding in love. He'll not always accuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him, for he knows how we are formed. He remembers that we are dust. Let me ask you, is that the same mindset we have with each other? That we see each other, that we have compassion and we're gracious with each, uh, with each other? Knowing that, you know, we do stumble, we do fall, and how do we deal with people who are, not, are unredeemed, who aren't saved? They're only acting out of their carnal nature. So are we supposed to come at them with both barrels or should we not approach them with that love of Christ again, not compromising God's word, but to teach, to show what it says in the scriptures and to try to lead them to Christ with a humble and gentle heart, amen? Being gracious. And a great example is Jesus. Remember the woman caught in adultery? Oh, they could have followed the letter of the law. They could have stoned her. And what does Jesus do? All right, who's without sin? Cast the first stone. And they all go away. But remember what he said to her. I don't condemn you, but go and sin no more. So we give them the biblical principle, but we show the mercy of God to lead them to Christ. Amen? Praise God. We never jeopardize the word of God. All right, let's go on. Another quality of divine wisdom, James says, is submissive. It's not stubborn and obstinate. And boy, we can be pig-headed at times, can we not? Oh, especially in that argument, I'm standing my ground. The person is unreasonable. Therefore, they are not willing to listen. But then the person who is reasonable, the person who is submissive, is willing to listen, at least to an argument. Listen to the other side of the story. And you know what? If you're wrong, admit it. And take, oh yeah, I was wrong. Or take the correction if you're incorrect. 
don't stand on stubborn pride. We're submissive. We listen. Boy, Jesus was submissive. He came under the Father's will and came to earth to die for us. And he was the Son of God. Amen? So he's a great example. And Christian, let's avoid prideful stubbornness because we can't admit we are or were wrong. And we stand on pride. And a good litmus test, you want to know a good litmus test for this? Is when we're corrected, disciplined, or even rebuked. You hear me? Because that's when, ho, ho, rebuke, attitude. Attitude, we get an attitude because we don't want to be disciplined. We don't want to be corrected, right, youngsters? Husbands, we don't want to be corrected or disciplined. But when we do, we can cop an attitude or the yeah, butter. Yeah, but, yeah, but, yeah, but, mud on me. Yeah, but they keep going. Or uh, got to get that last word in. Like you're done and all of a sudden, ba 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 ba. Mmm. Just fuel the fire. But are we one who is willing to listen and submit to either biblical correction, parental discipline, or even a rebuke on the job or in the church? Do we go with a submissive spirit and say, you know, I was wrong? My pastor used to say something really true. When someone comes up and says something, if they're, you know, blasting at you, there's usually an element of truth. Listen to it and look for that element of truth and work on it. Amen? But we want to do things with a submissive spirit. Another characteristic is mercy. Mercy. And in Greek, it's elios. And it means to have feelings of pity or compassion. Did God not have pity for us? We were lost in our sin. We were on our way to an eternal hell. But he had compassion on us. And he came, and he had pity for us. And the word compassion means like a guttural wrench that when he looked at us and saw what our eternal habitat would be and the consequences of our sin, he came to earth, and he walked amongst us. He taught us, and then he died for us because he had mercy. Mercy, a mercy which we don't deserve, but he had. So how much more are we to show mercy for to the most compassionate and merciful plans not one of the, the most compassionate, merciful plans in history. So how dare we not have mercy on others? And let me say this. Mercy does not discriminate between the saved and the unsaved. We have to show mercy on whoever. Amen? Again, not going against the principles of God's word, but there's a way of saying something or teaching somebody under the humility of Christ. I have some things down here. That's my last bless you. All right, you're in. All right. Do we look at the AIDS patient and say, too bad, it was your choice of lifestyles. That's why you ended up like this. Or to the addict or alcoholic, too bad, you made your bed, now lie in it. Do you think Jesus would have done that? No. He would have went over and showed mercy. And he would have gave him the gospel and the hope that's in Jesus Christ. He would have ministered to him, never going against saying that this condition you're in whether if you were in a homosexual relationship or you got hooked on drugs or alcohol, that it's right, it violates the word of God. But he would have had mercy to try to lead him to the cross of Christ because the greater healing is faith in Christ and eternal life. Because let me tell you something. Look around you. If the rapture doesn't happen in the next 50 years, most of us will not be here. But one thing we will be, we'll be with the Lord and be more alive there than we are now. Amen? So he had mercy. Listen to Luke 6.36. Be merciful, just as you... And listen to Micah 6.8. He has shown you, O man, what is good. Has he not shown us what is good? He showed us in his Son. We have redemption by the blood of the Lamb. Oh, he's shown us what is good. The ultimate moral goodness walked amongst us. Amen? 
He has shown you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Oh boy, if we could put that scripture verse into practice. To love mercy and walk humbly with our God. Amen? And that's how we are to minister to others. We want them to see Christ in us so they'll come to the cross of Christ and be saved. Remember the Good Samaritan? It's just not a story, a nice story. It calls us and shows us what we should be. Oh, the Pharisee walked by. The priest walked by. Oh, I can't defile myself with that guy who might be dead. The Levite too, going to the temple, can't defile myself. But here comes the Samaritan, the half-Jew, that went over to his enemy. He walked. He took his supplies and put the bomb and healing on him and then paid the price for the inn that he stayed in. There's our example, people. There's our example. Because that kind of mercy and grace will lead people to Jesus, the Jesus that we so exalt and love. Amen? And finally, with one last group, James says that divine wisdom is full of good fruits. And this is where the rubber meets the road. It means taking that mercy, taking that submission, taking all those characteristics, and then putting them into practice. That Jewish mindset, who is wise and understanding, now that we are wise and understand that this is what God wants of us, now put it into practice. Apply it. Be humble. Be submissive. Be merciful. Be gentle. Put it into practice. And we can do that because we have the power of God living within us. It's the Matthew 25, 35 to 36 lifestyle, if it's up there. Listen to what it says. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. It doesn't say, well, the guy from your church was in prison. The guy from your church was hungry. It doesn't differentiate. Whoever was in need of that mercy of Christ and says, when did I do this, Lord? He said, whatever you did for the least of my brethren, you did unto me. Hallelujah. And listen to what James says about this attitude and lifestyle. It's impartial and it's sincere. Impartial means it doesn't differentiate. It doesn't say, I'll do it for this one, but not for this one. I'll do it for the saved, but not for the lost. I'll do it for the person walking like Alana who walks a straight line, but it's impartial. Jesus was impartial. He came to save us all for whoever would put his faith in him and walk with him. He ate with Matthew and the sinners. Did he violate the word of God? Absolutely not. But all of a sudden, one day he walks and says, you, tax collector, follow me. Matthew gets up and he follows him because he saw something in Christ. Zacchaeus, the one who was exacting usury on his fellow Jews, when he finally, Jesus went and sat with him, that guy came out and said, saved saved. And Zacchaeus said, I'll give back four times what I took because he met with the real Jesus. When people meet with us, do they meet with the real Jesus? The one who's going to walk in submission and mercy and gentleness and kindness won't violate the word of God, won't violate the principle of God. May I, Marie, use our conversation? Marie came to me and asked me a question, and boy, I was taken by it. She said, my niece, she's maybe a lesbian, what happens if she marries? Do I go? And at first, I was pretty hard about it. But then I thought about it, sought godly counsel. You know what? She should share the biblical principle with a niece that this violates the word of God. But being like Christ-like, go. Show her that you love her. But that you first shared with her the biblical principle that this violates the word of God. If we turn our back, how is this young girl ever going to hear me? All right? 
We don't violate the word. Would I, would I say walk into a bar? No. But if your friend has a problem with alcohol, speak to him about it. And if he needs your help, be there for him. Amen? I got off on a tangent again. I'm sorry. All right, so we walk in divine wisdom with impartiality and sincerity. Impartiality, again, means that we don't look past in sincerity. We do it with pure motives. We do it for the glory of God, not to get the pat on the back or think we're anything great. So we do it with sincerity and partiality. Amen? Family, we can be... Um, it says in verse 18 now, going to James chapter 3, verse 18, and that when we do this, when we walk in these things, look, it says, we become peacemakers who sow in peace and reap a harvest of righteousness. We can be peacemakers because why? We have peace with God. We've put our faith in God, and he's filled us with the Spirit. You know, one of those fruits is peace, that we have the peace of God, and now can be a peacemaker as we take the love of Christ and the peace that's within our hearts into the situations that divide people in the world and share the biblical principles and show them Jesus Christ. Amen? And we can harvest righteousness. But listen, righteousness will never be harvested out of a selfish ambition or bitter, envious heart. Never, never. It must be one that has faith in Christ and walks in the humility of Christ. We can never harvest a life of righteousness unless we come under the lordship of Jesus Christ. Someone grasps hold of the salvation that they have and are willing to share it at any cost with others by being what? Like Christ. He's called us to be his ambassadors, his disciples. That means we follow his example. Please read the Gospels. Read them and come to know Jesus and then walk like him. That's what he desires. Amen? And we will become more and more evident in our lives that we are Christians when we go to a situation with these godly characteristics. And family, to have godly wisdom, again, it all belong, begins with Jesus. Listen to Colossians 2.3. It says, It is only in Christ who have hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Come to know Jesus. Look at his life and walk in him and like him and we will walk in divine and godly wisdom when we take from the word he's given us and apply it to our lives. Amen? So let me ask you this morning. You want to walk in the wisdom of this world which will flow out of a corrupted sin nature and we're based in self-centeredness and selfish ambition which will lead to discourse, division, and strife? Or would you prefer to walk in divine wisdom that comes from the heart of God and leads to peace and righteousness? Which one do you want to walk in? And that peace of our own lives when we do it God's way. To know that, all right, I'm doing it God's way. Things went a little awry, but his hands upon it. This is his principle, so he's seeing me through it. Better than doing it our own way and not know if we're undercoming the discipline of God or the consequences of our own stupid actions or foolish actions, right? So if you've chosen the latter, let me state most adamantly, it only begins, you can only walk in divine wisdom by faith in Jesus Christ. It's only then that you will be filled with the Holy Spirit and will be able to see things from God's perspective and do things from God's perspective through His power. Because let me tell you, you're not going to subdue this flesh, carnal nature, without the Spirit of God. Because in any given situation, any human being can be the cruelest, meanest, harshest human being there is. Amen? All right. Oh, me, I should say. All right, so it begins with Jesus that we have the peace of God and we can be peacemakers as his children. Listen to Matthew 5, 9 again. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. 
And Romans 12, 18 says this, If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. And you know how we can do that? By walking in godly wisdom. Will it always be peaches and cream? Absolutely not. Will it always be easy? No. But it's characteristics. And be the peacemakers and children of God that he wants us to be. So if this is your desire, if you want to be an ambassador of the Prince of Peace, to share the gift that will bring peace to the heart of men, then look to walk in divine wisdom and apply those characteristics we looked at this morning. Let it be pure, peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, and let it be impartial and sincere. Don't pick and choose. Whoever God brings into your pathway, and I'm looking at my son, and this is a beautiful story, not because he's my son. They were in Boston. They went to a Boston game because he's a Boston fan. Don't stone him. All right? But um, while they're there, they come out. And here's a, what was he, 21 kid? 21-year-old kid, already out of his house, drug addict or alcoholic, right? And Thomas's friends are like, ah, he's a, you know, blankety-blank, using all kinds of profanities against the kid. But Tom got down and, by God's grace, ministered the gospel and got to get something to eat and showed the love of Christ. Are we willing to do that? The ones that the world will turn away, the one in the world will say, you made your bed, lie in it. Are we willing to be submissive, humble, listen to the leading of the Spirit and bring Christ to them? How else are they going to know, church? How else are they going to know? Through the Spirit of God who lives in us, if we apply these qualities, we'll walk in divine wisdom. And listen, if we do, we will influence the world as a child of God, as an ambassador of Christ, as a disciple of Christ, because we'll be doing it through godly wisdom and a biblical worldview and not a world ungodly and fleshly worldview. Amen? So walk in the divine wisdom of God, church. Let us pray as we begin f- prepare for communion. Father God, we thank you for your word today. We thank you, Lord God, that you have filled us Holy Spirit, at the moment of conversion. That Spirit of God, we can walk in you and with you, that you illuminate the truths of your word to our heart. And Holy Spirit, when we are not walking according to your principles, we pray this morning, convict us, show us, so that we can learn and that we would apply the principles of your word to our hearts, that we can walk as peacemakers, Lord, pure, Sincere, impartial, Lord God. Humble, submissive, gentle, being those disciples of Christ. And Lord, that we never go against your word. We never violate a truth of Scripture when speaking to somebody else. But Lord, we bring that truth so that they would know also, not in haughtiness, not in bitter envy or selfish ambition, not in pride and arrogance, but to show others the gift that can be theirs in Christ, the eternal life that can be theirs in Christ. Let us be Christ, that you would help us in our families, that you would help us within this local expression, that you would help us in the workplace to walk in that divine wisdom and be the Jesus in every situation that you want us to be. Make us more like you, Lord. Help us to apply them because in our own strength and our own flesh, we can't. But in you and through your power, we can. God, we ask for wisdom like Solomon did. He had to lead a great people. He had to build a great temple. Lord God, there's a whole harvest field out there that people can come in and be part of the real temple, the body of Christ. Lord God, use us. Show us. Guide us. Direct us. 
And we just thank you this morning. We thank you for the gift of wisdom that you will give us. Lead us, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. At this time, if you are born-again Christian, you've placed your faith in Christ, then the communion table is open. It's, it's all we ask. You don't have to be a member of this church, but uh, as long as your faith is in Christ, you may come up and take of the elements, and please hold on to them until we all take together. Amen? So if you can make your way up.